you know, a bird in hand is really important. So don't try to get the dream valuation from the dream investor for the biggest check. Make sure that you understand what is it that is good today that will get you through the storm and then you can have a chance. So right now what you're trying to do is keep optionality and not optimize for the short term. Everyday triumphs, extraordinary outcomes, a space where narratives connect. This is the Big Idea Box podcast. Born at the Lab Miami, this podcast invites all entrepreneurs to share, support, and empower. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, second edition of Conquering Crisis, our series for startup founders in, in Florida. My name is Tigray Wenrick, and I'm the CEO of Lab Miami Ventures. We run a startup studio here in the, in the lab in Wynwood, Miami's original co-working space. And educational content for entrepreneurs has always been a big part of our mission ever since we started the lab back in 2012. Although typically we've done it through in-person events so that people could actually see the space. For example, we have a monthly in-person meetup called Brain Food, where we interview successful local entrepreneurs. So that actually will be coming to webinar forum next month in May for the first time as well. So with this, with this current COVID-19 crisis, we, we decided we needed to do something new uh, to try and help entrepreneurs to navigate these unusual times. So tonight, as I said, is the second installment of our series. Uh, and next Thursday, we'll, we'll be doing the same, the same thing, same time, five o'clock. There'll be a fireside chat with Andres Moreno, the CEO of Open English. But bueno, before I get started with uh, today's panel, let me thank our event sponsors, especially Miami Angels and, and Rebecca Danta, who's here with us tonight. Miami Angels is South Florida's largest angel investor network. It was literally born here in the lab, and Rebecca's been a huge help as our resident Zoom expert uh, in managing this process. Also, like to thank Endeavor, who's been co-producing Brain Food with us since 2013 when we started it. The Knight Foundation, our, our partner at everything in the lab since the very beginning. And our other great community partners, Emerge Americas, uh, Refresh Miami, Mana, Mana Tech, the New Tropic for helping to get the word out and letting you all know that this is going on. So down to tonight's panel, I'm very excited to be joined by three amazing Florida-based VCs, each of whom I consider a friend. Uh, let me start introducing Chris Fontas. Chris is a managing director of Arsenal Venture Partners, one of the oldest and most respected firms in venture capital in Florida. Chris is a recovering attorney and since that time has spent uh, over 20 years uh, founding, building, advising, and funding early stage technology companies. He's based up in Winter Park, but he's no stranger to South Florida. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of Miami's Law School and he has a place down here. So we're uh, thankful he could join us at least virtually tonight. Next, we have Patricio Wexler. He's the co-founder and managing director of Starlight, focusing humanity's most significant challenges with transformational approaches. Prior to starting Starlight, she oversaw private investments for a large family office, and she's also worked for Disney uh, and Elevation Partners. She actually started her career in management consulting at BCG, and this is going to date us both, Patty. But I think we met in Mexico what, in 1998. Yep, my first um, boss. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have Nico Berardi, the founder and general partner of Animo Ventures, a new $60 million seed stage fund based here in Miami that invests with a global focus. Uh, prior to launching Animo, Nico worked at Resolute Ventures uh, while completing his MBA at Harvard. 
And before that, he was the first managing director of Miami Angels. So happy to have you back with us again. So Chris, maybe we can start with you. This is not your first time investing through an economic crisis. Uh, you and I have talked about this in the past. Can, can you maybe share some of the lessons that you've learned from those past experiences and how investors might utilize those learnings in today's situation? Yeah, sure. Happy to, Tigray. So again, during the, the last economic downturn, if this is similar to that, what the founder can expect is a protracted investment cycle to the extent that a founder has, you know, cash or, or access, you know, to cash, that's something that they should husband, you know, very, very closely because it's, it's likely going to, to have to last, you know, a, a, a while. The ability to have the venture capital firms get into a comfort zone from a macro perspective will will take some time certainly they're going to take this quarter and next to evaluate how the macro effects are, are occurring at a global level and then you know of course at a, at a u.s level the amount that uh, they deploy will be cadenced uh, associated with first priorities being follow-on investments to their own portfolios so they'll have they'll be taking a look at their portfolios and deciding what reserves they're going to, to need associated with that. And then they will also take a look at what they expect to deploy over the next uh, few quarters. And so whatever cadence they were working on before will likely be interrupted and paused until that assessment can be, can be conducted. So if you're a founder, what that means to you is you will want to make sure that your operations are very, very cash efficient. You'll want to be capital light to the extent that you can be, because those are the types of deals that will be more comfortable in this type of environment. Also, of course, being able to capitalize on the opportunities that are resulting from this environment, that will play well into the, the thesis of your, your fundraising. So if you're a company that's fortunate enough to have a business that can benefit from the transformation of many of the consumer-related uh, activities that will be persistent likely through this and other areas that will benefit from this entire shift away from consumer you know, habits, what they were to what they are now, you know, you'll be also in a priority uh, position for at least uh, reviews by venture capital groups. But that's, that's sort of what we saw, you know, 10, 12 years ago during the last downturn. I expect that to, to happen again here. Patty, you were working in Derramate in Brazil in the first dot-com bubble burst, and you were at uh, Elevation for the, for the Great Recession. Any, any lessons you want to share from that? Yeah, I mean... To not belabor the point, I think Chris summarized well, is when there's a mega crisis, the, from a financial standpoint, clearly valuations are going to go down because a dollar is just valued differently in a decline valuation environment and investment pace will slow. I think the overlay of this particular situation is that it is not a financial adjustment that we have to figure out how we're going to climb out of. It is still not fully clear how 
long we are going to have to live in a different mode of living, I would say, in many ways, and what the ultimate outcomes will be beyond the financial. So especially in the earlier stages of venture financing, when the cadence has been, what is an 18-month plan that is reasonable for me to get to my next milestone, the double pressure that a founder faces right now is that valuations have gone down but probably I don't want to fund a company for just an 18 month runway because that means you have to be raising within 12 months, which one is not enough time, even in normal times to reach a kind of meaningful milestone, but especially if your operations are going to be hampered. And that obviously depends. Like Chris said, you're in a very different situation. If your uh, business purpose was highly aligned with things that will increase post pandemic or with things that, you know, will be affected negatively. But I think there's an overlay and I think there's a perhaps lesser but important consideration for founders as they think about operating and fundraising over the next period is that VCs are human and everyone is going through a lot of destabilization in their business and in their personal lives. And they sh- you know, there should be some sensitivity in how to approach this with existing investors, with prospective investors and certainly with all other constituencies. So there's actually a ton of questions that I got from the audience as through the registration process. So maybe we'll go through some of those. And the second half of the hour, I'll open it up for live Q&A. So for those of you listening out there, if you want to use the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen to submit questions, we'll be you can start writing your questions now or as they occur to you during the conversation. And then we'll go to that maybe in another 15 or 20 minutes. We'll start taking questions from there. But from all the questions that were submitted, they, they really mostly boiled down to three basic themes. Sort of how is this inf- affecting your, your investment process? What industries or sectors are you now focusing on as a result of the crisis? And then what should I, as an entrepreneur, be doing now? And you, you, you touched, uh, you both in the introductory comments, touched on, on some of that. But let's go back to that first question. So about sort of what What's the expectation for investment volume valuations? You know, Chris mentioned you know, cash is king. This is, there's not going to be a lot of transactions done in the short term. And yet a lot of the surveys that I've seen recently, people are saying VCs are still open for business. I saw a pitch book survey that said, I don't know, 30, 40% thought they would invest the same amount this year as last year. And another 20 or 30% thought they could in, in fact even invest more. You know, a similar percent said less, but sort of on average, it looks like people are saying it's not going to be that different. And yet you hear everyone with these talking points, it's going to take longer, valuations are going to be down, cash is king. Like which of those is right? What, how are you guys uh, dealing with this individually? Nico, why don't you start? Yeah, I think both things are true because it's two different types of people that are answering that question, right? So the, I think volume and valuation is going to go down as a result of there being fewer active venture investors out there. Now, why, were the, why will the quantity of uh, VC, active VCs go down? I think is, you know, there's several things at play here. One is many funds have very large active portfolios. And so just doing you know, portfolio triaging and helping out their existing portfolio and, and their CEOs and, and making these decisions is going to be a full-time job. You know, if you have 200 portfolio companies, that's all you're going to be doing for a few months. Um, the second group is for the funds that were in the middle of fundraising themselves. 
right? So the LPs, the limited partners, which are the, the either individuals or institutions that invest in venture funds, um, are mostly, you know, it, it can be uh, endowments, pension funds, fund of funds, high net worth individuals. Most of those people are suffering, you know, or have already suffered massive uh, portfolio uh, shrinkage in their other asset classes, right? And so today they're overexposed to venture capital, right? It's kind of the denominator effect. So for all those firms that were in the middle of fundraising themselves, they're not going to be able to fund, uh, to fundraise or close their new funds, which means they won't be active for a while. Um, how long will that take? Who knows? And that's Patty's point on, on uncertainty. And then I think the third bucket of, of active players that, that are going away are what I call the tourists or the hobbyists, right? If you look at yields across asset classes over the last five years, um, it's been pretty you know, mediocre. And so people went up the risk scale and they found an interesting opportunity in venture. And so you have a lot of people that started getting into venture that this isn't their bread and butter. This isn't their core business. And so with the, with the current shakeup, I think all those people will, will retract and go back to their um, wherever they came from. Right, so all of that taken together, it means that there will be a whole host of providers of capital that will exit the market, right? And then if we go back to basic, you know, laws of supply and demand, you have, you know, fewer supply of capital, you know, somewhat equal demand, um, you know, prices should change, right? And the process should be slower. So I think what you're hearing from VCs are open for business are the people that are sitting on dry powder that have bandwidth and won't change their methodology or process, right? We fall in that bucket. But we're also in touch with a lot of VCs that fall in that other bucket that they're like, look, I was fundraising, now I don't have capital, I gotta write it out, I gotta wait, or I'm in full triage mode. So I think both of those things are true. And so I think tactically for an entrepreneur, what you gotta do is try to sort out who you're talking to and what, <laughs> what bucket. Uh, so you guys started investing from your first fund about a year, year and a half ago, right? Correct. So we have so about, your your velocity of deal review and and you're not slowing down. No, uh, we have about seventy five percent of the fund in, in dry powder, um, so it should be pretty. You know, and we're very kind of methodical and consistent. We do about eight investments a year, and I don't see that changing for us. So I think as an entrepreneur, you just got to you know ask the tough questions up front and say, look, have you done a deal in the last month? Do you expect to continue with your current pace? For the rest of the year and, and then back channel with other founders with other vcs and ask those questions just so that you can see if you're talking to a fund that is actually open for business um or for uh you know one of those that isn't actually open how about you guys uh chris or patty i mean um so we are um we, we don't manage outside capital so on the plus side we don't have any pressure from LPs asking us, hey, please slow down to meet our cap calls. We have to sell public equities. We, can, we, we, we don't have any mandate to slow down or accelerate. And, and so we don't have a, a, a plan to reduce uh, our, our number of deals, which we are also kind of at a pace of eight to 10 a year. And the mandate of what we do is actually, in our view, enhanced most of our companies are mission-wise benefiting and if anything competition for talent and retention capabilities will increase so we're bullish having said that i can't imagine the pace as of now there's been already i would say approximately two lost months with people just even figuring out a new form and pace of diligence 
of interacting, of meeting founders, of meeting the team, everybody doing their own kind of triage. So to catch up, that would mean that um, we have identified what a new normal looks like, let's say by the summer, and then we can catch up and do the number of deals. For the companies that we like to invest in, which is very early stage, unlikely to generate revenues for the foreseeable future, it's actually fairly easy to continue funding because they'll write out this crisis anyway without kind of market forces. Um, and, um, and then again, the question for us would be how much more um, runway do they need in this environment? Um, so, I, so I think we'll get back to it, but I think right now pricing risk is harder than usual. So I would say for us, the bar has gotten higher to clear getting to yes in an investment. We have less opportunities to be obviously face-to-face -face with the founders and meet the team. They're doing a lot of assessing and perhaps some tweaking of how they're going to manage their business. So I would just say uh, the bar has gotten maybe slightly harder for things that aren't at the two poles, which is either there's a huge immediate opportunity that has to be funded right away and it'll go away, or basically like this is the deal that wouldn't open up except for the fact that we had distress, like people who got into Slack recently, which they never otherwise would have been able to get because it's a unique moment in time. I think everything in the middle of that barbell, it is a more challenging time. And if you can find a way to use, modify your burn rate or use other forms of financing to get through, I think waiting for the summer or the latter half of the year is a smarter strategy if it's available to you. How about you guys, Chris? Are you still investing? Are you slowing down? How are you, how are you guys addressing this? Yeah, so we're definitely still investing. I mean, we've got you know, a couple of deals, actually probably more than a couple that are in the later final stages of due diligence. To Patty's point, the, the diligence is a bit more challenged in this environment. Um, you know, typically, as all of us, you know, we're all hands-on, right? So it's, it's not permitted to be hands-on right now. So that, that delays things. I think, you know, Nico, you said as well, the, you know, the, the ability of, of the firm itself to react to new investments becomes difficult because you're assessing your portfolio and you're doing a lot of portfolio management during this period. You know, you're helping them with, you know, a number of, of operational challenges or, or opportunities, and that's your first priority. Your second priority then is to finish out the, you know, the, the deals that you already had down the, the, the pike. And you know, new deals, that's tougher to, to provide bandwidth to. So yes, we're still investing, but with the caveat I just stated, I would expect, it's, it's just, I think it would be impossible for most funds to both manage the portfolio that they have, assess the issues or opportunities they have, finish out the deals that they were in the process of closing, and not have that affect their cadence for, for new investments. I just don't, I don't see that being possible. So I would expect, and, and again, you know, going through you know, the dot-com burst, you know, going through the, the downturn um, in 08 and beyond. Each time, the, you know, the amount of deals that got done 
was reduced. I can't imagine that's any different right now. Deal volumes were reduced and also valuations came down a lot in the last, you know, 12 years ago. So the first question from the audience, for those with dry powder, how are you negotiating valuation in light of the more limited resources available today to founders? Anybody want to take that? Are you, are you guys seeing material changes in valuation or not yet? You know, um, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, the, again, it's, it's a bit new, right? So, so when these things, when these traumatic financial stresses occur, you know, that's sort of, it's sort of like getting, you know, you know, a shock to the system. You, you don't change your behavior immediately relative to what you've done for the past 10 years, but it does occur. And we are seeing less of the assessment on valuation, but a pause in terms of the uncertainty associated with what is the right value? What are the market comps going to look like over the next couple quarters? It's, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, you, you, you take a look at your public comps and, you know, it, you know, as you've seen the market, it varies wildly. Um, you know, the market has, you know, gone down significantly. It's gone back up significantly. You got a lot of pundits saying that it, the market's not pricing in the impact on the long-term impact on earnings. Others are saying that that may be irrelevant because of the, the amount of, of dollars being pumped into the economy. But at the end of the day, you don't know what those comps are going to look like. So it's, it's hard to, to place a value on something today with certainty. And every time you have uncertainty, it, it affects valuation and not in a positive way. Yeah, I, I was going to go, you know, start from the same point, which is this is just so new. Um, what we have seen, at least, has been a lot of flat rounds. A lot of people that raised, you know, we dedicate ourselves exclusively to pre-seed and seed. Um, so we're seeing a lot of companies that maybe raised, you know, whatever the nomenclature, they raised around, call it a year ago, they've made substantial progress, but they're still not ready for a Series A, or at least they're either not fully ready or they don't want to go out to race for a Series A in the current murky water environment. And so they're coming back out and saying, hey, I'll take an extra, you know, 500 k million, million and a half at the same terms that I raised the, the last round, which is not necessarily a down round, but it is, you know, it's like you're getting more value for the same money. So Compared to what their expectations were six weeks ago, it's a down round, right? Right, exactly. So it, technically not, but you're paying kind of the same price for something that is way, way further along, right? We're seeing a lot of those rounds. I think the first wave of companies that we will see at lower prices are the companies that are right now having internal conversations with their insider existing investors about doing bridges. And the, the, you know, the battery of those companies that cannot fill out the bridges that they need internally will have to go out to market. And I, I, I get the sense that a lot of those will, will be done at lower prices, partly because in certain ecosystems, the prices were already kind of crazy to begin with, right? Um, if you spent any time kind of at YC demo day, you would see, you know, these crazy companies. Like, we looked at one company, it was one person, five beta testers, it was a developer tool company, and they were raising two on 20 million pre. So it's like, granted, like those companies, the prices will certainly come down in these awkward periods. So part of it, I think, is like a healthy reset for the environment and the ecosystem. And part of it will just be brutal and, and, and hard to get through. 
I want to go back to something that, that Patty said before about, you know, this, VCs are human, right? Talk a little bit about the process and how this has affected your actual day-to-day -day process. And I was on the, the phone with a friend in Silicon Valley the other day at a, a fund there in Menlo Park. And he said, you know, we're doing lots of meetings on Zoom. We haven't really slowed down at all. But how am I supposed to actually invest meeting the team in person? That's our process. I don't know how we're going to do that. I don't know where this is going to go. How, how has this whole thing changed your investment process in terms of meeting with startups? And, and how would you answer that question? Like, will, will you invest in a company without meeting them physically? I mean, I can say our answer is yes. I mean, we at Starlight had actually already been doing remote work significantly. We invest globally. And so we, we, we already have relationships that we consider incredibly solid that we made the investment without having met in person. So I think technology has gotten to the point and maybe COVID allowed people to like see this. Where, where you, can, you can get the confidence and the comfort without being a long time in a room. That part, we were really far ahead. I would say, you know, having three young children at home, both myself and my partner, um, has expanded the investment team by a lot in not a good way. <laughs> but so, so that part has been workable. The difference is, of course, being based in Miami, I would say I would spend 50% of my time traveling uh, and visiting not just portfolio, but prospective companies and understanding other ecosystem hotbeds. And that's certainly um, a little more challenging. So far, uh, you know, we're in the eye of the storm. We're still early. I think that if this continues in some shape or form for a long time, we will all find a new rhythm that allows us to get some form of 80-20. But for right now, it certainly um, hindered our ability, I would say, to do very early deal development. So we still are looking, I would say, maybe at the same amount of deals, but I would say I'm not seeding as much as I did, let's say at this time last year, for three to six to 12 months after, because that part of the, of the job has been curtailed quite a bit by just being at home most of the time. Let me piggyback on that real quick. Um, so we did, we invested in a company called Tiny Mile, uh, two weeks ago, never met the founder. He's in Toronto. That's kind of the, the blunt, direct answer. But travel is is, is a funny thing because it's also, I, I travel at least two weeks a month, you know, more like three. I'm here. We were remote kind of from the beginning. I'm here. My partner's in New York and I've got an operational partner in Argentina. And the portfolio is a third New York, a third Bay Area, a third kind of all over the U.S. And I think what's tough to replace for us is in the pre-seed and seed game, a lot of it is serendipity and chance. It's like, I'll go to a, a founder dinner and I'll meet an amazing founder and that's how I met. Or I'll meet an amazing angel, again, by chance somewhere, and that angel will introduce me to a cool company. Or we go to the universities or we hang out at places like the Lab Miami where you meet great companies. And so I think for us, uh, and this might affect cadence, that it, we, we tend to have like a very trench hand-to-hand -hand combat approach to deal flow that we're finding kind of creative ways to replace in this kind of Zoom-only world. Chris, you want to add anything to that? No, I think those are good, both good perspectives. I, you know, the, the types of companies that we invest in are, are a bit later in the cycle than, than Nico or Patty. And, and for us, because of that operational context that we, you know, we require, and, you know, we, we, have always met you know management teams ahead of time not just the you know the founder because these companies have you know a 
number of people on the executive team typically, and they're generating revenue, um, sometimes a substantial amount of revenue, and to really understand well the dynamics of that team, it's really difficult to do that remotely. So for us, it's a, you know, it's, it's a bit different. I completely understand Nico and Patty's perspective, and, and that makes perfect sense to me. For our particular uh, focus, it's, you know, that would be, you know, that would be a bit more, more, more challenging. But, you know, I'll go back also to the point of both Patty and Nico's perspective on, you know, on valuation and, and the likely hit, you know, this will take, or at least having rounds that are sideways. The one advice I would give to all founders, particularly during these times that I have found to be very consistent and, and validated over time is in these times, do not be, be valuation sensitive. I mean, that's a mistake. Be, be, be sensitive to taking capital and the right amount of capital that you need at, you know, really a reasonable valuation, not, not at uh, what your expectations may have been, but, you know, do what you need, not what you want. Right. I mean, that's, that's something that I, uh, cause I've seen companies do it. I've seen companies walk away during these times from, from capital at valuations they weren't comfortable with, but yet were not, you know, recaps or, or, you know, significant dilution events. They were more diluted than they would have liked, but they kept the company moving forward. And that made all the difference. The companies that didn't take that money, most of those didn't survive. So anyway, that's just good, good advice. We'll be right back after this short break. If you're looking for a space to find motivated and inspired individuals for more opportunity, check out the Lab Miami. Our space is the original co-working community located in the heart of the Wynwood Arts District. We believe entrepreneurs, startups, and corporations alike need an open and inspiring place to gather, experiment, and foster connections. At The Lab, we offer creative workspace solutions, including co-working, virtual offices, dedicated desks, and full-service private office suites. We're also an event venue for off-site meetings, conferences, workshops, and receptions alongside hosting our own curated events targeted towards entrepreneurs like you. You're invited to learn, act, and build with our innovative community. To get more involved, feel free to pass by for a visit or contact us via email at info at Learn more on our website at www.thelabmiami.com. So I've heard cash is king, funding is going to be, there's going to be fewer deals, valuation is going to be probably under pressure. And if you don't have to raise, ideally wait for 12 or 18 months. What about the companies that don't have that kind of runway? They've cut costs, they're bootstrapped, they don't have that much capital, and they really have to raise in the next quarter or, or maybe two quarters. What, what advice would you give them in terms of how to go about trying to get that done in this environment? I mean, if, perhaps this is, these are obvious things, but so one is if you uh, need money in the next quarter or so, I hope that you have been building relationships for at least you know, a quarter or two. And so where you already have an existing conversation, be sensitive in your communications, but certainly leverage that. And if you need to reach out to new investors, 
um, definitely make sure that you have done the basics, forget even just from an investing perspective, but running your company and understanding, given the current new reality, revisit all your assumptions, all from, from, from the mission and the vision to why you're doing it. Is this the right thing to do to how are you operating and what is your scenario planning so that you, you know, every, every pitch in any market economy is a little bit of an interview and now you're even being stress tested. So it's a really important opportunity to show, is this somebody that I want to invest in to navigate extra turbulent water? I would say those are two pretty obvious things. Consider in your bit. So assuming you're going out to this because you feel like your business is resilient and is taking into account the implications of a post-corona world, how are you thinking about burn and recruiting and execution to make sure that you can navigate these tough waters? Those are probably like three fairly obvious uh, things. And I think what Chris was saying is, you know, a bird in hand is really important. So don't try to get the dream valuation from the dream investor for the biggest check. Make sure that you understand what is it that is good today that will get you through the storm and then you can have a chance. So right now what you're trying to do is keep optionality and not optimize for the short term. So I think the, the, the philosophical underpinning of, of what Patty is describing, which I absolutely agree with, is that there's a paradigm shift in our little tech bubble, which I think for the last few years, it's been growth at all costs, right? And we've seen a lot of companies that are you know selling a dollar bill for 80 cents kind of thing. Um, and I think we're in the middle of that shift where for the next year, I think it's 100% about survivability and adaptability. So I think the companies that will be rewarded coming out of this will be the ones that adapted the best, right? And so I think right now, survival is the name of the game. And, you know, we spoke to a few founders, and they're like, well, we've already cut all the fat out of this. Well, we're at that point where we got to cut some muscle and we're going to have to cut some bone, maybe, right? We got to do whatever it takes in order to survive. And sometimes, you know, you don't have the luxury of operating like a surgeon and just removing kind of what you need. If you, if you have to raise, you know, capital in the next quarter, you're probably chopping parts of the business with an ax, which means it's going to be painful and you're going to cut things that you wish you didn't have to. But again, it's about survivability. And I think that if you adapt and you prove that nimbleness as a, as a business and as a founder, I think you will be rewarded. So perhaps we can move into the, the other question, which is about, has this changed your investment thesis at all or, or uh, phrased otherwise? What are the most exciting things that you're looking at in terms of investment opportunities now in the context of COVID-19 or, or hasn't it? Yeah, for, I'll, I'll speak. I mean, for us, you know, the areas of focus that we have, logistics, healthcare IT, you know, enterprise software, those types of industries have been met, you know, been well suited for this type of an environment, but that still, you know, you, you hone that with everything that, you know, Nico and Patty have just, just been talking about in terms of you still need to make sure that the macro environment is, is sound. You know, how are these companies going to, if they're getting a boon during this time now, what will, you know, how lasting will that, you know, will that be? And, you know, the, you know, focus that we have is assessing that, you know, that transformation and, and the extent of it. And so of the subsets of those areas, which ones are likely to, to shine the most? You know, that's, that would be my perspective is you know, it hasn't changed our focus, but it certainly creates a, a dynamic that you want to capitalize on because of, of what we're going through right now. For us at Starlight, if 
anything. It's just accelerated where we think the world is going, which is we make non-incremental big bets on humanity's biggest challenges and existential threats. So I think what's happened today, hopefully we'll get more people to put money alongside us and the companies we invest. If I had to say one question, and I don't have, I'm, I'm struggling with the pros and cons of this, is a little bit more of globalized and distributed workforces, companies, and investments versus within borders. So this is a global problem. We need global solutions. The things that we've been doing often have cross-national teams, have supply chains that cross continents. And I think that might still be important and certainly distributed work is, I think, getting a big boon here. People understanding that it's doable. However, there's the counter is as we deal with these kinds of things and perhaps how long lived this one will be and how much we think of re-architecting our economy to be prepared for future ones, depending on where those two things shake out, we may come out differently on how we feel about distributors. So one company in the space industry literally missed their satellite launches because one of their important supply pieces came out of Italy. So examples like that of how is the world moving forward with teams that can't see each other, supply chains that get stuck, how, how that should shake and inform our thesis. I think I'm still thinking through that, but it'll be important for entrepreneurs that are thinking of raising money to think through how they answer those questions and think about that. A yeah, good point about not sort of not overstating it also, right? That uh, I, the question from the audience here, and by the way, folks, if you wanna ask a question, please use the Q&A function at the bottom of your, your Zoom screen. But someone said, in our startup, we're seeing a lot of interesting acceleration in demand, but we've also heard advice not to confuse crisis market fit with true product market fit. And the question is, so how, how valuable or how important to it to you guys is it to see that a company's revenue numbers are accelerating during the crisis? I'll take that first because we just went through it with a company that was, you guessed it, in the grocery delivery universe, basically discounted it to zero. I mean, unless you have a credible pitch as to why, you know, this will stick. Like Zoom, I think Zoom, the platform that we're on is a good example, right? They went from 10 million daily actives to 200 million daily actives just in Q1, right? Now, a year from now, will that number go down to 10? Will it go to 15? Will it go to 20? Who knows? But as an investor, I can't look at Zoom today and say, oh my God, they've got 200 million daily actives and, and project off of that, right? So unless there's a very, very, very credible way as to why, and in Zoom's case, it might be, look, everybody's experienced it and it's so much better than anything else out there that, you know, fine. It's like, you know, it's a demo-based product and therefore hundreds of millions of people have demoed it. And so, you know, that will help in conversion, maybe. So unless you have a very, 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 very clear pitch as to why, I would almost put it aside and say, look, this is just, you know, it's the black swan of 2020, um, or maybe the decade, who knows. Um, so yes, it's been great. We got a little extra revenue, free marketing, a little viral, whatever. We're still figuring out how to, how to you know, capitalize on that, but we understand that that's not, and the so what are the relevant metrics that you guys would look for today? If, if revenue traction, you're, you're all kind of understanding that it's probably not going to be really great and maybe it's maybe growth is even going to go down for a quarter. Um, how do you judge what's a good opportunity? Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, you can take a look at their historic ramp, right? And you can say, hey, you know, for example, 
what Nico was talking about, if you're looking for grocery delivery or any other logistics-based uh, company that's delivering goods, you know, they had a historic ramp. You know, will this, you know, will this help them? Will this give them tailwinds? You would think certainly. The answer is yes. How much? Mm. You know, unclear. Will it be what it is today? No, it will not. But will it? Will it be more? Will it accelerate their growth? Probably. How much? Mm, unclear. But given the macro events, I think you can take a look at the company and say, I'm comfortable with the fact that it's on a it's on a growth plane. It has its revenue will likely increase. The you know the profitability or certainly the EBITDA associated with it will improve and get more comfortable with the investment. The you know, I think those things you can certainly get more comfortable with. So those types of companies, those companies will continue to be well received as long as, as I said earlier, you know, the amount of net burn that they have is manageable. What, what people don't want to do in these types of environments as investors is go into a capital intensive business with uncertainty associated with the, you know, the macro environment. But if you've got as Nico said, if you've got companies that have really had a boom associated with their you know, core business, yeah, you know, do you give that full weight? Certainly not. No. But do you, does it give you certainly more comfort associated with that investment? The answer, to me at least, is, has been yes in what we're looking at. So there's a few questions that want to take the conversation a little bit more local. So is there anything that you would tell a startup founder from South Florida or Florida? to do differently? Is it, go, you know, is, there, is it going to affect them in a different way? Any, any special advice on how this is going to affect, you know, what have been kind of pro markets for venture? I'll, I'll take that. I think smaller ecosystems like Florida or like Miami, I don't want to speak for all Florida because I, I haven't had much exposure to the entire state, obviously. Um, but in Miami, I think companies take longer to fail. Like I've seen a lot of companies that have been around for four, five, six years, and they're still not gaining the traction, right? And for whatever reason, they're, they're still at it, right? And I think that there's, you obviously want founders that have grit that will stick it out through the tough times, but you also want founders that, you know, just throw the towel when they're about to get killed, right? Um, just like in boxing. And so I think that there might, this crisis or, or this resetting may help a lot of companies just finally, you know, come to reality and say, you know what, it's time to do something else. I think that's one. And by the way, I say that because there's less competition here, right? And in, in, in kind of the more developed ecosystems, companies fail much more quickly because the competition is brutal, right? In San Francisco, the minute you're not growing, you know, two, three, five, 10, 20 X year over year, your best engineers leave and then you're dead, period. Um, so with fewer competition here, companies just take longer to, you know, to kind of fold. And I think we need some resetting here in, in Miami. The other thing I'll say is there's two massively funded companies locally, which I won't name, but I, I guess everybody knows. And I assume a lot of those companies are going to go through a round of layoffs if they haven't already. And that's amazing talent. I know a lot of people at both of those companies that I, that I think are amazing. And I think a lot of those people will want to stay in, in South Florida just because of the quality of life and everything that we, you know, they, yeah, they can't leave. <laughs> you can't leave, right? And so I'd say that if you're in a position to lean in and, and, and hire, um, I do think there will be interesting local opportunities to hire top, top talent. Good point. And I know you say all that with, with 
love and support for the Miami startup community. Nico's been a huge supporter. And I think, yeah, the dose of reality sometimes is what, what we need. Another question in the same vein, someone asks, what's currently missing in the Miami ecosystem that, if embedded, would allow Miami's startup community to thrive? What are we missing? Is that directed only to me? <laughs> That's to any of you who want to jump in. I don't think there is, you know, one single thing and then we can add it and it solves it. And I think all the things that make an ecosystem grow have been slowly being put in place. And there's a lot of people, including Nico, Tigre, all of you, that have really been uh, adding things. I would say my guess is that from a structural perspective, one shift, again, we will go back to some form of normal, but I think some of the trends that will remain is people will start, this was already happening. People were saying New York, San Francisco, especially are at a tipping point of quality of life and ability. And I think more and more people will start realizing you don't have to live there exactly. And I think secondary places that are really good places to live, like Miami, might benefit here. And this will be the moment where some talent might continue moving here as remote becomes an option. So it might be in the grand scheme after we go through the roughest patches and hopefully the pain for all of us, and especially the people who get sick and them isn't as painful as we fear once after that Miami might be relatively well positioned relative to where it was before so that's my hope that markets like ours can attract more people to to work here did you want to add anything to that Nico yeah um again with 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 the message of love that I have for this city which is about a house here and like we're staying here I also hear a lot of complaining from from Miami founders about how much harder it is to do things here so hard to raise money so hard to you know, hire amazing talent. And, and, you know, when you point to the the probably dozen or so companies that have raised, you know, 50, 60, 70, $100 million plus over the past, you know, five, six years, they say, well, but that's an except, exception. Yeah, well, we're in the business of exceptions. You know, most startups don't make it and it's really hard to make it, right? So I think there's like a expectation that, you know, you start a company and you'll raise money and you'll, you know, hire amazing talent. It's a bloodbath, right? And I think, there's been enough companies that have proven that, of course, it can be done here, that have, you know, put Miami, Miami's name in a very good place with investors and, and top talent around the country that, you know, if you, I think it's absolutely possible to just, you know, do the work, hustle, and, and kind of get this chip off your shoulder that, oh, you're in Miami and you're at such a disadvantage. And if you really believe that and you really believe in your company, well, pick up and move. You know, at some point you got to put your money where your mouth is. We're putting our money where our mouth is. We live here, we buy a house, we invest here. This is the dream. So yeah, I mean, the T-grade, I think, you know, from our perspective, as you know, we sit and, and for 20 years, we've been in central Florida. We've invested throughout the state, you know, a significant amount of money over the years. I think of all the deals that we've done, you know, it's well over, you know, with co-investment, you know, it's well over a billion dollars that's, that's come to Florida through deals that, that we've done. And, and I would say in the South Florida area specifically, the things that are helpful and would be great to have more of are, you know, more patties and Nikos that will help, you know, fund the early stage companies and, and be able to call the herd, so to speak, relative to, you know, the winners. And, you know, also, frankly, having more venues like, like the lab and, 
more entrepreneurs like yourself and Marco and others that that can help these companies both grow and scale efficiently and effectively and tap into uh, capital sources. I mean, that's what Miami needs more of. That's very, very good. Thank you. There's a question here that kind of goes back to something that, that Patty said about, you know, if you need to raise money now, it's sort of too late if you haven't started developing relationships. Someone wrote, how can I meet some angel and VC investors, even if I'm not ready to look for capital now? Obviously, the answer is Zoom, <laughs> but how do you get a Zoom meeting with you guys? I mean, again, I, my life has been Zoom for 24 months. I've taken first meetings on Zoom, I would say 75% of the time. So I get inbounds if they are you know, something that fits within our profile, we will take a Zoom meeting. So, and I think other investors, if they hadn't done that yet, they're certainly doing it now. So, you know, how to pitch your startup and how to make sure that you get to the right person, you know, that, that could be a whole other one hour conversation, but that's how we, we start our, our thing. You know, I see 10 pitches a day and probably take at least five or 10 Zoom meetings a week. To, how do you get to be one of those five or 10? What's the secret? I mean, usually if somebody comes through a warm recommendation, it's always better. It goes to the top of the pile. If not, if it's a really compelling approach, I mean, we do screen everything we get even through our, our website, every single thing. So if it's something that is, it cuts through the, through the pile of lots of interesting inbounds, then we do it. So Either it's something very particularly compelling that fits with our thesis, which is really clearly laid out on our site, or we know someone that can uh, make sure that I take an extra look up front. You guys want to add anything to that? I mean, what I'll add is, look, we're in the business of meeting entrepreneurs, right? So um, we try and make ourselves available. My email is all over like LinkedIn and Twitter and everything. And it's Miko at anima.vc in case you can't go to Twitter. Warm intros help, right? So just go on LinkedIn, see who you have in common, see if anybody can just make sure it floats up to the the top of my inbox. We also go through everything, everything that we get through their info at the website, but that just takes longer, right? Yeah. Um, so either find you know find a warm intro or just send a good cold email and 10 times out of 10 will respond. And when I say good cold email, make sure that it's relevant to what we invest in, right? So yeah, do do your homework beforehand before you ask for the intro, and ideally a warm a warm lead. And I I will say I mean some people complain about this, but the reality is I'm sure you guys get even much more email than I do. But I mean I've just been so overwhelmed with hundreds of hundreds of messages a day. It's just not humanly possible to answer every one of them. And so as, as I think Patti said at the beginning, you know, you're, you're human as well. And so people need to understand that. I would like to use this though as a segue to make a little pitch for Rebecca, who's on from Miami Angels, which is that you know, she and, and Bruno are two full-time people and they're screening angel deals for Miami Angels. And it's their mission to talk to everyone. And so, and I, I've seen this firsthand. They, they will respond. They may not give a, uh, an in-person or a, or a Zoom meeting to every single person who asks for one, but they will absolutely respond to any and all pitches that they receive. That's kind of part of our community mission. So if, you, if you're interested in you know, getting some feedback on your pitch and, and you're in South Florida, I think you should definitely reach out to the miamiangels.vc. Well, with that, we are at the hour mark. How about if we give you each like one, one chance to, one piece of closing advice 
Like what, what are the one or two most important things that an entrepreneur needs to be focused on for the next month? Nico, you want to start? Put you on the spot? Mental health. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, kudos. I have my deepest respect and admirations for, for founders in any time. But in these trying times, it's even, it's even higher. So just be, I know you're under tremendous amount of pressure. You're, you're laying people off. You're cutting your own set. Like you're making very, very difficult decisions. Don't try to act like it's business as usual and try to hide that emotion. Try to deal with them in any way that you see fit and, and truly keep yourself uh, mentally healthy. Uh, reach out to uh, other co-founders, uh, there's a lot of resources, meditation, yoga, friends, therapists, but don't, don't pretend like everything is fine because you're going through a tremendous amount of pressure. Tati? I mean, what Nico said was very well said, so I second it completely. And, you know, I think the entrepreneurial um, mindset is well suited for these times. It's a time of huge unknowns. There are no experts on this particular crisis and knowing how to filter what advice to take and not take and how to make the decisions. So I think that try to remember that you don't have to have all the answers today. You have to make the decisions that will allow you to keep most options open. And that in addition to your own humanity, this is a moment of leadership. So obviously be considerate to everyone in your ecosystem. I mean, your investors are important, but your employees and your Customers, depending on what you're doing, are also important in this time. And, you know, one or two bad quarters won't change the outcome if you have an operating business, but how you act will leave impact. So depending on where you are in your stage, just make sure that you keep your options open, don't solve everything today, and just be proud of how you're conducting yourself in this difficult time. We'll give you the last word, Chris. Great, thanks. Yeah, no, I, I echo both Nico and Patty. I think it is critically important that you know any of the founders and CEOs that they are very empathetic with you know their team and their customers and respectful of what everyone is going through. I mean, this is hard. And I would also suggest that they take, as Nico stated, very very seriously. I mean, this is you're at war, right? I mean, it's it's like being in a war as a, as a founder and CEO. You have to react quickly. You cannot assume that the status quo is going to be maintained in what you're going to be able to, to fund and what your customers are going to do. So you need to be very diligent about reacting to shifts in how your custom or customers or prospective customers are and you know adapt accordingly and quickly. So that would be you know, one of the main things I would, I would suggest, because that's what, you know, all of our portfolio companies are, are, are doing today. Awesome. Thank you very much, all three of you for, for joining us tonight. Thank you also to our, our partners in this endeavor, Miami Angels, Knight Foundation, Emerge, Refresh, Mana, the new tropic. Before you all drop off, don't forget next week, we have a fireside chat with Andres Moreno, the founder and CEO of Open English, will be interviewed by Matt Hagman, who's an, an excellent uh, inter interviewer. And that should be a great conversation about uh, capitalizing on crisis. So join us next Thursday at 5 p.m., uh, April 23rd. And uh, please sign up beforehand on Eventbrite so that you'll get the link in time for the, for the webinar. So thank you all again, and uh, good luck.
conquering the crisis. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tira. Thanks for having me. Like what you just heard? If you would like your business or platform to be mentioned on our podcast, we now have sponsorship options available. Email us at podcast at thelabmiami.com for a spot on the Big Idea Box. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the Big Idea Box podcast. And remember, always share with a friend. Stay connected and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Big Idea Box. <laughs> <laughs>